Today's uh, <clears throat> scripture reading is coming out of Romans 8, 15 through 17, and uh, 31 through 39. You can find it in your uh, pew Bibles on page 1184 and 1185. Or you can use your phone or any Bible you may have. Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We continue in our series today, uh, Heaven on Earth, as we talk about families and what it would look like if God's way was done in some corners of our world at least, and maybe starting with our families. And uh, I may have mentioned this before, but a few years back, Hadley went, our daughter, our, old, you know, our oldest, four years old, and about to be five. I'm not freaking out a little bit. Uh, anyway, a couple of years ago or so, she went through a phase where you know, she was a little bit scared about going to bed at night, you know, the whole uh, dark thing and all that. And Julie, I don't think she consulted with me on this, but she decided that she would just tell Hadley, matter-of-factly, there's nothing to be scared of in your room or in your house because Daddy doesn't allow scary things in our house. And that seemed to work for a while. So, you know, I was flattered. Uh, and, uh, and I was a little bit uh, impressed with her parenting skills because that seemed to help a lot. Uh, but there was a part of me that kind of wondered... <laughs> Am I up to that task? You know, that's a, that's a daunting statement. Daddy doesn't allow scary things in this house. You know, if something scary comes in the house, what, <laughs> what does that do, you know, to me? So I, I got a standard, so I was like, well, should I go to some kind of ninja training <laughs> or something, you know? Um, which, or, you know, the Louisiana way, skip the ninja training, that's a lot of work, buy a couple more guns, call it good, right? <laughs> And, but I think, you know, all parents, at some level, that concerns us 
You know, even the most trained or heavily armed parent sometimes wonders, especially when you read the news, right? And see the things going on and the things that happen to families. Uh, You know, could that be my family? Am I doing enough? Can I protect my kids the way I need to protect them? And part of this is because we know that a child's security is important. Not just physical security that you can provide at home with a gun or whatever, but that they feel secure. That they feel safe. And we know this is important. Common sense tells us that, but even research has shown, and there was something I found on Harvard's child development site that said it is essential that children have safe, secure environments in which to grow, learn, and develop healthy brains and bodies. And science shows that early exposure to circumstances that produce persistent fear and chronic anxiety can have lifelong effects on brain architecture. Traumatic experiences may affect how children learn, solve problems, relate to others. And we understand this. And so there's a lot of pressure on parents to provide security. And yet, in our world, when we look around, there's not a whole lot of kids that grow up with a sense of safety and security. And some of that is out of our control as parents. But for a lot of parents, when we look around at our world, we see that maybe they're not doing all that they could be doing to provide a safe and secure environment. But this series is not about doing what's normal in our world. It's it's not about that. It's about heaven on earth. And we've been taking it from this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. And we're just thinking if he wanted us to pray for it, then maybe he wanted us to practice it to the best of our abilities as well. And there's few places that we have more influence than in our homes, in our own lives, And yes, on our children's lives. And whether you are a parent, or a grandparent, or an aunt or uncle, or a teacher, or whatever the case may be, if you have influence with children, if you have a relationship with children, you have influence with children. Uh, So if you have that, then what can you do, and especially in that arena of life, to help bring a little bit of heaven here on earth? Because heaven knows earth needs it, right? Earth needs it. So, the thing about security, it's not just little kids that need it. It's a deeply felt human need. And God understands that. And God knows that we need that sense of security if any of us are going to grow and thrive and have good relationships. And so that's true spiritually as well and in every arena of life. And the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Romans. And this is a powerhouse chapter in Romans. It's a powerhouse book, but Romans 8 in particular might be one of the most important chapters that the Apostle Paul ever wrote. I think it's kind of the climax of this whole big important letter that he wrote to the Romans that's so important for us today and forms so much of our theology as Christians. And in this letter, he's been spending a lot of time talking about sin and how to put sin to death. And in this chapter, he spends kind of the first half talking about that and how the Holy Spirit helps us with that. And then he mentions how the people he's writing to are facing severe persecution for their faith. And he transitions into talking about 
uh, what we're going to talk about today. But as I thought about the context of what we're sharing today, that blew my mind. I hadn't really put that together before, but if you've ever wondered how important your battle against sin is, consider how much time the Apostle Paul spent writing about it to a group of people who were facing persecution for their faith. They were facing famine, death, sword. And he spends the bulk of this book talking about their battle with sin. That's, I think a lot of us, if we were writing to some persecuted Christians, your battle with sin would not be at the top of our list, right? We'd be like, hey, we're praying for you. We know this is tough. Hang in there. We'll talk about sin later when this, you know, dies down. Uh, Just hang in there for now. But no, the Apostle Paul thought that was really important. And, and so that says something. You know, maybe to the effect of what Jesus said about what good is it if you gain the whole world but forfeit your soul. That there's this thing that's more important than physical life. More important than whether you suffer or have it easy in this life. There's something more at stake. And the Apostle Paul recognizes that. But as he talks to them about how this Holy Spirit is going to come alongside them and help them in their battle against sin... He says that, whole, that same Holy Spirit does something else in your life as well. And he said that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And he says this Spirit enables us to cry out just as Jesus did, just as the apostles did, Abba, Father, which most of us we don't say Abba in our day-to-day prayer life. But you may say Father. And Abba, really, in the Jewish language, it's kind of like Dad in our language. It's something that little kids can say, right? Because little kids can't say Father when they're little. Most of them can't. I haven't heard one that started with Father. But a lot of them can start with Dad, 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 Dad. That's what Peter does. Every time I call Julie during the day, she answers and I hear, Dad! In the back. <laughs> it's nice. <laughs> kids can say that, and kids can say Abba early. And so that was a term of endearment, a term for father. It was more than a formality, it was like family. And we can call on God in this way because the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children adopted into his family and there's a sense of security that comes with that he says what shall we say in response to these things if God is for us who can be against us he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. And bear in mind who he's writing this to. Christians who are facing condemnation. Christians who are facing charges from the Roman government, from the Jewish leadership. Paul's saying, who these people think they are? It's God who justifies. And he's already said, we're good. He's already adopted us into his family. So even when the world around you is crazy, you can have confidence in this. You can have a sense of security in this. 
knowing because the Holy Spirit testifies with your spirit, right? He goes on, says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? This chapter just keeps getting better as it goes. If you haven't read all of Romans 8, it's a good one. Just start at the beginning and buckle in by the end because he just it just swells like a, like a, I don't know, a good roller coaster. It gets better as you go. A good uh, symphony or orchestra as it swells and crescendos. It's incredible. But, you know, what's going to separate you from the love of Christ? Hardships? You know, bullying at school or at work? A boss that's unfair? Getting laid off? A corrupt government? The North Koreans? (laughs) Who's going to separate you from the love of Christ? There's nobody that can do it. What an incredible hope we have. Paul says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. More than conquerors. It's not like we're survivors. (laughs) It's better than that. We're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. He says, I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, or demons, present, future, any powers, height, depth, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That deserves an amen. Incredible. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing's going to be able to come and grab you out of His hands. And that's amazing. When you are in Christ Jesus, you're in the safest place that you can be no matter what happens to you. Whether death or life or anything else. Powers in this world, powers of spiritual darkness, it does not matter. If you are in Christ's hands, you are secure and safe. And that's something Christians have been clinging to since the first century. And we can still cling to it today. Because God is our Father. And He recognizes, as every good parent should, that His children need to feel secure and loved. And here's the thing about that. Our sense of confidence, and this is in your note card if you want to write it down, our sense of confidence is determined by our sense of security. Think about it. When you feel safe, it gives you confidence in life. When your child feels safe, they operate with confidence. When they get in an environment where they don't feel safe, they shut down a lot of times, or they act out, or whatever their thing is. And our sense of security is determined by our sense of love or our sense of being loved. I would argue that that's the greatest determining factor of security. It has to do with this thing we call love. When you feel loved, it changes a lot. I got a lot more confident after I met Julie. Just I mean, it's not just that she's beautiful. She loved me for who I am, flaws and all. And so it was something that gave confidence to me. 
Maybe you've experienced that from a parent or from, you know, whoever, a friend or a, or a loved one or a spouse. Or even having kids, you know, and their love for me adds confidence. You've experienced this too in your life in some way. And so God, what I, what I want to do in the next few minutes as we think about how to apply this idea of, you know, if, if in God's kingdom, if in heaven, if where God's will is done... His people are loved and secure and confident. If that's how it works in heaven, then how can we bring that to bear on earth and specifically in our families? And so what I want to do is just take some practical things about how God loves us and have you think about, can we do that in our families? Can we do that in our relationships, in our marriages, in our, with our kids? And so I'm going to talk about five ways that God helps us to feel loved. And if one of these strikes you as something you'd like to work on, I'd encourage you to write it down if you can find some space on that note card or wherever. Because here's the thing, right, parents? You all love your kids. If not, then you probably need to see somebody. <laughs> or, or maybe you know, give them to someone who will. But... We all love our kids, but that does not mean that our kids feel loved by us. That's not automatic, is it? You can love someone and not show them. Or you could say, hey, I love you, but okay, when was the last time you told them? When was the last time you showed them? Just because you, in your head, say I love you, doesn't mean that that person feels like they're loved by you. And that's true of our kids as well. And that's true of us in our relationship with God. And so God does umpteen things to show us that He loves us. To help us feel loved. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote such strong words to a group of people who were facing persecution and needing to know, not just in their heads, but in their hearts, that they were loved by God. That they were secure and safe in His love. So, so much of what the Apostle Paul wrote was trying to get people to feel it, not just to know it with their head. He could have just said, God loves you. There you go. But instead, he wrote all that, right? About nothing can separate you, and you know, on and on and on, and just trying to get them to feel it and understand it deep within them. And God does this for us in so many ways. So let's just talk about some of the ways that he does this. He tells us he loves us, right? He tells us. Scriptures filled from front to back. It's, you could argue it's a grand love story. Book after book of the Bible, author after author, through over a thousand years period of time, all with this theme that God loves the world. He raised up Israel to be a blessing to all the nations. He created us in the first place, right? He worked out a plan to send His Son, not just to visit with us, but to die for us. Jesus told us of His love for us. The apostles told us of His love for us. He has told us and told us. Now, if you are a parent that struggles with telling your children that you love them, please fight that fight to tell them 
If God Almighty thinks it's important to tell His children that He loves them, then maybe it's important for us too. So swallow whatever it is, your past or your pride or whatever. Uh, say, I love you. You can say it as gruff as you need to say it, but say it. <laughs> we'll let them know. Not only does God tell us that He loves us, but He shows us in a lot of ways. He sacrifices for us. I mean, no clearer example than Jesus on the cross, right? Of His great sacrifice for us. And as parents, we have to sacrifice for our kids as well. Not that they'll necessarily appreciate it, right? (laughs) Maybe someday they'll appreciate it. Like when they're up at 3 a.m. with a baby, right? (laughs) At some point in life, they'll maybe understand a little better and appreciate that. But maybe on some level, even a subconscious level, at a younger age, they recognize in some way that you love them because of the sacrifices that you are making for them. There's a lot of parents nowadays, it seems like, and I base this not just on conjecture, but like when I was teaching and I would meet parents and talk to kids. And There's a lot of parents who think they can have kids and then keep their same work and social life that they've always had. Like nothing in their world is going to change. It's just they're going to add this little blessing. This cute little blessing is going to come along and just enrich the rest of their life and it's all going to stay the same as it was. Not if you do it right. If you do it right, it takes sacrifice. I'm not saying that you can't ever do anything for yourself or whatever. That probably wouldn't be that great either. But this notion that I can still live my life. No, your life's on hold for a few years. You've got a child to raise and no one can do it as well as you. You signed up for that job. And maybe that's one of the biggest things that our young folks who are getting ready to be dating and marrying and having kids at some point need to recognize that kids aren't just this warm little blessing that you get. They're a lot of work and a lot of sacrifice if you do it right. And why would you want to do that and not do it right? So be prepared to sacrifice. That's what God does for us. Not only that, but He disciplines us. We talked about that a little bit last week, so I won't spend a whole lot of time on it, but we read specifically last week that the Lord disciplines those He loves. And a parent disciplines those He loves. And so if you didn't get a chance to hear last week's message, I think it's really important, and I would encourage you to go back and and listen to that and, and hear more details. But, look, anybody with a child development background or an education background would tell you that children thrive in an environment that is structured, where there are routines, where there are boundaries that are not just stated, but enforced. They thrive in that. They know where the boundaries are. That makes them feel safe. And we know that when you feel safe, all those things that Harvard said happen, happen, right? Good relational health, good mental health, all that stuff, emotional health and growing and maturing happens in a safe environment. So provide that through discipline for your child. God also protects us. Protects us from evil 
Someday maybe we'll know what all he protected us from. But he protects his children. And you know, protection doesn't always mean physical protection. Like concealed carrying and following your child everywhere they go. <laughs> that kind of protection. Uh, you know, it's not, we're not just talking about that. That's not the only way God protects us either. So think about how you need to keep, what you need to do to keep your kids safe in the stages of life that they're in. If you've got a child with a smartphone, make sure you have a parental app on there that tells you everything that phone is doing. All the kids just gasped internally. Absolutely. To not do so is naive about what's out there. It's not a matter of, oh, my kid's good, and they wouldn't go to that kind of stuff. That stuff will come to them. It's not a matter of if, but when. So you need to know about it, so you can have those conversations with them when it happens. Not only that, but it gives them an excuse. A lot of times, kids get pressured and asked to do things with their phones and, and that they may not even really want to do. And it gives them an excuse to say, can't. Everything, every text I send goes to my parents, so they get that picture too. <laughs> right? Protect your kids. And not only protect them, but teach them why. Teach them how to protect themselves so that when they become an adult, they know how to be safe as well. When you do that, you may catch a lot of flack. Right? I'm putting this app on your phone. <laughs> it may not be a positive reaction. But, especially if you do it right and not with a hysteria and all that, they will know that you love them. They may not like it <laughs> in that moment and in that way, but they will know that you are, in your, to the best of your ability, trying to protect them. And they may not think they need protection, whatever, but they will know that you love them when you strive to protect them. And the last one, this is a little bit odd. And I wasn't sure how to word it. But God loves himself, or maybe we should say God loves each other. You know, there's that whole thing of the Trinity, and the Father loves the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they're in this thing together. And how many times when Jesus was walking around, did, did God speak in some way and say, this is my son whom I love. God is love, right? Somehow this whole Trinity thing that we have a hard time wrapping our minds around, God is the Holy Spirit, God is the Son, God is the Father, and they are one and they are love. Can you imagine if our God was more like the Greek gods? Always at war with each other. And they were having this big argument, like God the Father was saying, that's it, I'm going to strike the whole world dead. And the Son said, don't do it, you jerk. And then the Holy Spirit's like in between them, trying to break them up or something. That would be a different vision of God. If that was what was portrayed of God, how safe would you feel when you read Romans 8? <laughs> 
you know, cosmic, cosmic battles and tsunamis and lightning and all this stuff's happening. That's what the Greeks, that's how they operated with their gods, right? And if our God was like that, how safe would you feel? In our homes, how safe do you expect your child to feel? How much trust in your love do you expect them to feel if they can't trust your love for their mama or their daddy? This is a tough one, right? How is your child supposed to trust your love for them if they cannot trust your love for their mama or their daddy? There's no secret that Jesus wasn't a fan of divorce. In fact, sometimes that him talking about that is sandwiched right by his saying, let the little children come to me. Take care of these little children. And I think Jesus knew, as well as we know today, that the ones that are hurt the most by divorce are our kids. Certainly there are situations where divorce has to happen. But oftentimes, divorce happens when we put our happiness ahead of our kids' health and well-being. And this takes us back to that whole sacrifice thing, right? I've been reading a book by Meg Meeker that's about dads, Dr. Meg Meeker, and she writes parenting books and things like that. She was talking about this and how many mothers divorce their flawed husbands because they think they're setting a bad example for the kids. But she says, from the research she studied and her experience as a doctor, that unless those dads have been physically or emotionally abusive, that children still want their fathers in their lives, and that kids actually do better in life, at school, in relationships, if they have both parents in their life. She even told a story of a mom and and a dad, and the dad lost his job, and right after they had their fourth child, and he became an alcoholic in the aftermath of that. And uh, the mom struggled with, what do I do with this? And she ended up deciding, after receiving counsel, to stick it out with him and until her kids became adults. And then as soon as they became adults, she was done. She was out of that situation that wasn't getting any better. And uh, she died uh, shortly thereafter, early, and the kids were talking about it, and they said, uh, her son said, my mother was my hero. Through every hardship, she never criticized my father. She knew that we needed him and wanted him, and I don't think many mothers could have done that. Because she never put him down, we were free to love him. And we do love our dad. That's the crazy thing. We love him. I call him periodically to check on him. He's my dad. You know, because of her sacrifice in that way, now that she's gone, her kids still have a relationship, if not if, even if a broken one, with a parent that they love. With this, let me just say, best option, three options, all right? Best option, 
Love your spouse and be fiercely devoted to them. Love them in a more intimate and special way than you would ever love your children. Let your kids see how much you love their spouse, your spouse and their other parent. And that will provide a very special sense of security in their life. Second best option. Stick it out for the sake of your kids. Treat them with respect. Don't talk bad about them in front of your kids. Do your best to sacrifice them that way for your kids. And last option is if you if there's no other choice for whatever reason and or already happened or whatever the case, last best option would be to try and always speak respectfully in front of your kids about your ex and let them have a shot at a healthy relationship or as healthy a relationship as possible with that other parent in their life. Now none of this, the divorce stuff, the the other stuff, you know, say like, man, I haven't been doing a good job with the discipline thing or I haven't been doing a good job of sacrificing, I'm all about me or whatever. If you've felt convicted about any of this, this is not designed to heap guilt on you. That's not really the Jesus way, is it? He came to forgive and he called us to repentance and repentance is all about leaving the past behind and let's talk about tomorrow. So this is not about guilt for the way it's been done. Leave the past in the past. This is a new day. And tomorrow is going to be a new day. What you do with it is up to you. So choose a better way for your kids. Show them. Help them to feel that they are loved. Just as we need that from God, let's pass that on to our kids. As in heaven so on earth I'm going to close with a prayer also from the Apostle Paul who knew this was so important and so when he wrote to the church in Ephesus he prayed this prayer for them that they would know not just up here but really understand the love that God has for them and so let's pray it together now would you bow your heads He said, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. And we said together, Amen.